welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBersier. Before we begin this week's episode, we have an announcement. This is episode 99 of Beyond Blathers. And for our 100th episode, we want to celebrate this milestone along with our listeners, because without you all, there would be no show. Until July 6th, we're asking you to send us a DM on Instagram or Twitter at Beyond Blathers, or send us an email to beyondblathers at gmail.com and answer one of these three questions. One, if you work with animals, share with us one of your coolest or weirdest stories from working with wildlife or specimens. Two, what was a time you were totally in awe of bugs, sea creatures, or fossils? And three, tell us about an animal encounter you had that you will never forget. Yes, we're so excited to read your stories and we'll pick some to share in our 101st episode. So please DM us on Instagram or Twitter or send us an email. We can't wait to hear from you. So today we're talking about a fossil, the Ophthalmosaurus, which I'm very excited to hear about. Yeah, I... I'm really excited about this one. I have been sort of like hoarding it as like uh, an episode topic for a while and I'm not really sure why, just because I'm really excited to talk about it and I want to have like a long time to research it, which I did, so that was nice. It's going to be a long episode, but I, I promise it is so worth it. We get to talk about like cool dinosaur history, like like human paleontological history and this like amazing natural history that these animals have and all the really cool fossils that have been found like it's just kind of amazing I feel like this is one of those creatures that or group of creatures that have just just a lot known about them for a a prehistoric creature if that makes sense yeah totally (laughs) sometimes there's not a ton to talk about for sure and yeah I think this will be great and I think it's a special 99th episode so oh yeah Yeah, okay, well, strap in and let's see what Blathers has to say. So if you bring an ophthalmosaurus fossil to Blathers, he'll say, The adorable ophthalmosaurus, cutest of all the ichthyosaurs. What makes a large sea-dwelling reptile cute, you may ask? I shall tell you, the eyes. Ophthalmosaurus's name means eye lizard, and its face was quite dominated by these great orbs. Beside their cutifying effect, these eyes gave the creature great vision, making it a very successful hunter, and no doubt because its big doe eyes lulled prey into a false sense of security. (laughs) Okay, I was wondering if the ophthal part came from eyes. Yeah, cool, hey? Yeah, it's like the Zoe de Chanel of ichthyosaurs. Oh, totally. (laughs) That is so accurate. Ugh. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we do have to talk about, like, I mean, the elephant in the room or the whale in the room is that ophthalmosauruses look so much like whales and dolphins, but they're not. And it's it kind of like messes me up. This, This is just an amazing example of convergent evolution where animals that occupy similar environments evolve to have similar features. So ichthyosaurs, which is the group that Thalamosaurus belongs in, they have these pointy snouts, this very smooth skin, and just similar flippers to cetaceans today. They they just, they look like dolphins. They really do look like dolphins. I can't believe that they're reptiles. It It's so weird. <laughs> like, 
I just I can't really get my mind around it like even though I know that in in my heart I'm just like this is a (laughs) this is a cute little dolphin that's so cool definitely the convergent evolution is strong Mm -hmm. and I think as far as prehistoric creatures go I mean this one is very charismatic I'm really surprised that it hasn't been in more paleo media but I suppose it sort of lacks the fearsome qualities that things like mosasaurs or plesiosaurs have. So maybe it's not appealing in that way. But it was in Land Before Time, one of the sequels, and I remember that from my childhood. Maybe it looks too similar to animals that we have today. Like maybe it doesn't look, you know, different enough or like weird enough. Yeah, like prehistoric. Yeah. But it's crazy because they could get so big. Like so big. So I'm like, y'all are missing out. (laughs) Well, so can you talk more about their appearance? I was going to ask how big they get. Yeah, we'll get into that a bit. I feel like this is one of those episodes where I I throw around a lot of sizes. So bear with me. I'm trying to be like inclusive and use meters and feet. (laughs) because (laughs) We have our Canadian audience and then our American audience and everyone else. So Yeah, it's very difficult. We just need to agree on a measurement system solely for the purpose of these kinds of episodes. (laughs) Anyway, Ophthalmosaurus is interesting to look at because, I mean, it has this long snout like a bottlenose dolphin, a very chunky body with a long forked tail in the back, much like a shark. And the rest of its flippers look similar to what we would see today in flippers with that smooth skin. But I will say its main thing is that like its main difference from a dolphin is it's very chunky. Like its body is very round. It's almost as wide as it was tall. So you really have to like imagine you're like photoshopping a dolphin and just like stretching its whole middle part out. <laughs> Vlathers mentions Ophthalmosaurus's eyes and these were very large. In fact, basically all ichthyosaurs had very large eyes. Ophthalmosaurus didn't have the biggest eyes of any ichthyosaur that record is held by Temnodontosaurus with an eyeball that was probably around 30 centimeters in diameter. So that's basically the size of a basketball. And so I just want everyone to like hold out your hands and imagine you're holding a basketball and then imagine that that's an eyeball in this giant prehistoric creature because I think it's so cool to imagine. Yeah, that's Temnodontosaurus. These are currently known to be the largest eyes of any animal ever. So, wow. Yeah, pretty amazing. It's worth mentioning, though, that the largest temnodontosaurus, they were really kind of up to like 15 meters, 39 feet long. So, about the length of a school bus. And Ophthalmosaurus was only half that length. And its eyes were only eight centimeters less in diameter than temnodontosaurus's. So that means that Ophthalmosaurus has the largest eyes to body size ratio of any animal that has ever lived, as far as we know, which is pretty cool. Wow. That's so, oh my gosh. The prehistoric seas are just my absolute favorite ecosystem ever, I think. (laughs) (laughs) They're amazing to think about. And so you've mentioned ichthyosaurs and Blathers did too. And I think we talked about ichthyosaurs when we had Miri on, I feel like, because mm-hmm. Miri is a big ichthyosaur person. So can you talk a bit more about what this group is? Yeah, I mean, I I think I've fallen in love with this group of animals so much more after this episode. And 
they lived on this planet for millions and millions of years. I'm like personally offended that they went extinct because I think they're just so incredible and I wish that they still existed so bad. So I want to tell their story from their initial emergence on the evolutionary scene to their eventual extinction. And I also want to say that for like this section of our episode, a lot of the information on the history of ichthyosaurs I got from PBS Eons on YouTube. I filled it in with like other research I found, but they summarize it really well. So if you want to see like full visuals to go with this information, definitely search up ichthyosaurs and PBS Eons on YouTube. So just had to cite my sources there. Before we jump into it, I was wondering, so is ichthyosaur the group, and then ophthalmosaur is family or something? Or the species? Ophthalmosaur is a genus. And yeah, so ichthyosaurs are belong to an order ichthyosauria. And so they're sort of this clade that includes the genus ophthalmosaur. Okay. Ophthalmosaur. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I was just trying to make the cladogram in no, my that, head. No, that's, yeah, can make the cladogram, yeah, nice and clear. So right now we are going to talk about ichthyosaurs as a whole group. Most of the time they look pretty similar. So if you have that sort of like dolphin image in your mind, you're, you're good to go for this story. So let's start 252 million years ago in the midst of Earth's greatest disaster, the Great Dying. As the dramatic but appropriate name suggests, this mass extinction ended the reign of most Permian animals. This included a devastating loss in the oceans where upwards of 90% of life was lost, including all of the trilobites, which is sad because I think the trilobites are so cute. Anyway, once all that life was gone, the surviving creatures were able to fill niches that were newly opened. And what resulted was an unprecedented diversification in the oceans. To put it simply, the oceans started to get more complicated and the animals began looking and behaving more and more different from one another. So predators started eating other predators and those predators were chowing down on all the prey that had survived the great dying. What ensued was an evolutionary arms race as predators became more complex and better at being predators and food chains gained new members. Prey species like ammonites began developing increased defenses. Ammonite shells caught stronger, a little bit pointier. In return, predators developed strong teeth with special shapes to crunch through those tough shells. And this sort of pattern was happening all over the oceans. Now, I don't mean to insinuate that these adaptations were by choice. They were, after all, completely random results of evolution. But it's a really cool evolutionary story that happens, this arms race. Four million years after the Great Dying, the first ancestors of the ichthyosaurs walked off the great stage that was land and plopped back into the water, a place their fishy ancestors had left some 100 million years before. Carter Reinkiss was one of these ancestors, and it was a little creature that spent most of its life in the water, but it was able to haul itself up onto land, kind of like a seal. Over time, the ichthyosaurs abandoned their terrestrial life entirely and became strong ocean predators. Within three million years, the descended relatives of the tiny Cartorhynchus became massive, like Symbospondylus youngorum, which was 25 meters long and 40 metric tons. For reference, a blue whale is nearly 30 meters or 100 feet long. So it was quite big. Wow. And it's amazing that within a mere three million years, this group was able to have enough success to reach these kinds of sizes. 
Our modern whales took like 50 million years to reach their epic proportions. But yeah, 3 million years for the ichthyosaurs. And at Fossil Hill, Nevada, a number of other medium to large species of ichthyosaur were discovered that could be dated to around the same time as Symbondelis. So it appears that the group was doing well and they were basically on like evolutionary steroids. This was also the first time in Earth's history that truly gigantic creatures came onto the scene. Nothing had gotten this big before. It's possible that this massive size was achieved because ichthyosaurs as a group had few competitors. Ammonite prey had become more diverse and available than ever after the Great Dying, and many of the competitors that would have been there prior to the Great Dying were just gone. By the Middle Triassic, ichthyosaurs had become speedy creatures that would hunt fish, squid, and even other ichthyosaurs. Some ichthyosaurs were also scavengers, and others would open their mouths and sort of ram forward to scoop food up. There were even ichthyosaurs who specialized in eating bivalves like clams, and these species usually had blunt teeth to break open hard shells. And in terms of size, ichthyosaurs had a real variety of sizes. The smallest ones were one meter or three feet long, like Myxosaurus. I like to imagine a Myxosaurus the size of like your Subway sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) And then they would get as big as like the 20 meter or 65 foot long Shaunosaurus. So really, really huge size variations here. The ichthyosaurs were doing really well until the Triassic-Jurassic extinction around 201.3 million years ago. With the splitting up of Pangaea, it's thought that volcanic activity triggered massive climate changes that warmed the oceans and caused ocean acidification. As a result, many generalist and specialist species of ichthyosaur went extinct, and the ones that pulled through were mostly the deep ocean dwellers. So now we're in the Jurassic. Our focus species today, Ophthalmosaurus, lived during this period, during the Jurassic, between 165 to 150 million years ago. At this time, ichthyosaurs as a whole were starting to compete with more and more marine predators, including sharks, big marine reptiles like mosasaurs, and even marine crocodiles. So the heyday of the ichthyosaurs was really over, but the group as a whole pulled through the Jurassic, survived yet another mass extinction, and found themselves in the Cretaceous. But then in the late Cretaceous, ichthyosaurs started to disappear, possibly due to more climate change resulting in the loss of much of their prey. But this is still a theory. We may never really know what started to kill them off. Gradually, the generalist and soft prey specialist ichthyosaurs disappeared about 100 million years ago. Now all that was left were the apex predators. But ichthyosaurs weren't diverse enough as a group to continue on, and the apex predator ichthyosaurs vanished too at 93 million years ago. And that was the end of the ichthyosaurs. But I sometimes think about it and like, how often in the world have there been like a last individual of a species? And I just like, it kind of like gives me existential crisis when I think about it. Like, (laughs) That last individual of a species represents, in the case of ichthyosaurs, 157 million years of evolution that led to that final animal. And, like, I don't know if it makes me sad or just, like, amazed that, like, at some point there was, like, you you can't really say, oh, this was, like, the first ichthyosaur because evolution isn't that concrete. But there was definitely a last ichthyosaur. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, that was a really interesting story. I liked just sitting back and listening. <laughs> it's really I good. just 
I love to think of these massive, like, whales that just would be so unfamiliar to us roaming the waters. And I think that's so exciting. And, like, how big their eyes must have been. And, like, I think of how we connect with whales today. And, like, there's always these shots of, like, humpback whale eyes and how, like, soulful they are. And I'm like, would that have been, like, the ichthyosaurs? Or would they have been sort of, like, more, like, lizards? Which I guess we don't normally consider as soulful creatures which is, you know, just our mammalian bias, but yeah, I just think that would be really cool to know. And I wish I could see one. It's interesting. I didn't know what sort of prompted these really intense apex predators that were so huge, but that's so like such an interesting kind of confluence of events that led to it. Yeah. Like to think that such a devastating event on earth could have resulted in like amazing diversification of life. I think that's so cool. Yeah. So I guess I wanted to ask because as you know, I do love whales and you've brought them up a bunch of times in this episode. Kind of how similar are they? Like, did they like live similar lives to the lives whales live? Yeah, it's cool because we have so much really good fossil evidence of ichthyosaurs, at least in my opinion. From what I've read, it just seems like there's really neat findings that tell us a little bit about their behavior. For example, some ichthyosauruses have been found with fossilized embryos still in like this stony womb, meaning that at least some and likely many ichthyosaurs gave birth to live young, just like cetaceans today. So that's kind of neat. That's similar to the plesiosaurs that we talked about. Gosh, almost like over a year ago now. Not only have embryos been found in their bellies, but food has been found there too. In some cases, things like cephalopod hooklets, fish scales, young sea turtles and birds, they've all been found in their stomachs. But even cooler, in the Guizhou province of southwestern China, they found the fossil of a Guizhouichthyosaur that contained the fossil of a Thalatosaur inside its belly. And a thalatosaur is a marine reptile that looked kind of like an aquatic Komodo dragon. And these things were big. They were like four meters long. And the ichthyosaur that ate it was five meters long. So this ichthyosaur successfully attacked and ate this huge marine lizard that was almost as long as it was. So I thought that was really cool. Wow, I would like to see that showdown. (laughs) (laughs) Do they know for sure that it hunted it rather than just scavenging it or something? Yeah, so apparently when a marine animal dies and it's sort of floating at the surface, it's common for the legs to decompose first and then drop from the carcass. But the legs were also found inside the ichthyosaur, which suggests predation. The only things that were missing were the head and the tail, but a tail matching the size of the consumed thalatosaur was actually found fossilized really close to this. So it's thought that, yeah, maybe it belongs to that thalatosaur. The other cool thing that this tells us is the way that that ichthyosaur probably hunted. It was probably using this technique that sharks will use, which is sort of like a bite, and then they shake, shake, shake. (laughs) And they shake the prey and get like chunks of flesh off of it. So that's kind of cool too. Another thing that makes this fossil interesting is that it's evidence that one of our markers for inferring diet may not be always that accurate. Normally, tooth shape can be used to indicate what an animal is eating. So in the case of this ichthyosaur, it had blunt cone-shaped teeth normally associated with soft foods like squid. 
But here, it's eating a very large vertebrate that would have been able to fight back, even if it wasn't necessarily as heavy as its attacker. So that tells us that our assumptions based on things like teeth may not always have the whole story, and usually animals are much more complex than we can ever guess. Another really cool fossil that's been found is one of Ophthalmosaurus, which shows these different levels of decay in a shallow sea. And these levels of decay are clear on the bones. So first you see these little nibble marks from larger fish, and then there's these groove marks of echinoderms, which are like sea star relatives, who were probably eating the bacteria on the corpse. And then the bones were covered in this layer of bacteria and worm feces from the worms and other small things that came and propagated on these bones. So it's really cool because it's a very similar process to decomposition in modern whales. And I think it's amazing that you can look at these bones and see an ecosystem behaving, I guess, along these bones and millions of years later, and you can see what happened. I think that's amazing. That's so cool. I would like an episode of Bones about that. Yeah, about me like too. <laughs> echinoderm relatives. That's yeah, so and cool. the photos were neat because they weren't just like, I feel like sometimes when you have these sorts of very hard to see evidence, it's all like photos taken from, say, an electron microscope or something. But these ones, like the, the marks were very, very obvious in the photos they had. So I thought that was kind of neat too. Like you could very clearly see it on the bone without looking too closely. Wow. And so I guess going back to the big eyes, because that's kind of the the thing about about these guys. That's interesting to me too, because they I, I know at least with like killer whales and humpback whales and stuff, their eyesight isn't a huge part of how they hunt. And like for killer whales, they're using echolocation, like bats. And then humpbacks are kind of just like opening their mouths and swimming around. <laughs> I mean, they're using the ram feeding just like ichthyosaurs did. Right. Yes, exactly. So for the ophthalmosaurus, were these big eyes like a big part of their hunting or kind of how did it factor into their lives? It's definitely thought that they were probably using it for hunting. I mean, large eyes, they must have been amazing at seeing and seeing through the water to search for prey. With big eyes like theirs, they were also likely very efficient at hunting in low light or in extreme ocean depths. So that's kind of interesting because we know that a lot of those deep sea ichthyosaurs were the ones that survived through an extinction. The other cool thing about their eyes is that they had these rings of bony plates, or I guess a ring in each eye of bony plates that looked to me like a pineapple ring. If you look at the fossil, like if you imagine like a kind of pineapple, it's got those like kind of wedge shapes and circular. Yeah. Yeah. So those are called sclerotic rings and those protected their eye from the intense water pressure around them. Those plates can also indicate how large the eye was, which is how we get a lot of those estimations for eye size. Right. That makes sense since I guess you wouldn't get the actual eyes. Yeah. You just kind of get the hole where the eye would be and you have to sort of infer. And so I've talked to Miria before about Mary Anning, and and she was really into ichthyosaurs. Could you talk a bit about the discovery of ichthyosaur fossils? Yeah, their history goes way back. They're represented in many of those initial depictions of prehistoric animals from the 1800s. And yeah, they have a really cool human history aspect to their discoveries. So Ophthalmosaurus, 
in particular was first described by Harry Seeley in 1874. But the very first ichthyosaurus fossil was just a few vertebrates and limb bones. And it was found in 1699 by the Welsh naturalist Edward Lude. 1699, that's crazy. At the time, it was thought to just be like an ancient fish. Ichthyosaurus fossils continued to be found and were usually attributed to fish, crocodiles, and whales. Because, you know, what else could it possibly be? Certainly not a giant whale-like creature from millions of years ago (laughs) that went extinct. Yeah, so they, they just didn't know what this was. And then along the beaches of the English Channel came this 12-year-old girl, Mary Anning. And she came from an extremely poor family. Her father was a cabinet maker and an amateur fossil collector. And at a young age, he'd bring Mary and her brother out to the beaches to collect fossils. These beaches around Dorset, England are sometimes called the Jurassic Coast because it's just filled with fossils. So we're in the early 1800s here, and Mary's father was teaching her about fossils and how to prepare them. And this was a very rare opportunity to learn science for a girl during her time and at her social standing. A year before her and her brother found the ichthyosaur, Mary's father died suddenly of tuberculosis. This was about, um, I think, 1810 or 1809. Her young brother had to take over the family business. And Mary would comb the beaches looking for fossils and shells to sell to support her family. Luckily, their town, Lyme Regis, was a popular vacationing destination for Brits who were encouraged to travel within the UK rather than abroad because of the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, and she was the she sells seashells by the seashore Yeah, gal. The, the origin of the inspiration for that tongue twister. Joseph, Mary's brother, noticed an ichthyosaur skull on the beach, and he showed it to Mary. And for months after that, Mary was just searching for the rest of its body. So when she finally found it, the family hired workers to excavate it, and the whole event was covered by the press. At this point in history, Georges Cuvier had really just introduced the idea of extinction. And at the time, like most people were still figuring that this crazy beach monster must have been some kind of like crocodile that had migrated from somewhere far away. It wasn't really until 1814 Sir Everard Holm described Mary's ichthyosaurs. In 1821, paleontologists de la Beche and Coney Bear gave it the name Ichthyosaurus communis. And at this point, the word dinosaur still didn't exist. So this is all happening very early in the history of paleontology. But as the public became increasingly fascinated by prehistoric creatures and dinosaurs were sort of entering the public domain, the demand for their fossils went up and we began seeing ichthyosaurs represented in everything from paintings to poetry. De La Beche, who was one of those paleontologists who named the ichthyosaur, painted Duria Antiquiar, which means a more ancient Dorset in 1930. And he did this to help raise funds for Mary, who was poor her entire life. And as Sophia said, Miria Perez talks about this print in our episode on the plesiosaur, so go check that out if you haven't heard it before. There's even a massive concrete sculpture of ichthyosaurs in the Crystal Palace Park. And what's cool about these is it shows how at the time when they were built in the 1850s, it was thought that ichthyosaurs were amphibious and would come out of the water like seals to rest and lay eggs. These sculptures also showed external sclerotic rings, which are those pineapple ring looking eye features I mentioned before. And they also showed bones like showing through the flippers. So that was kind of an interesting look into how people at that time saw 
dinosaurs and prehistoric creatures. As we talk about in the Iguanodon episode, the Crystal Palace Park was, it wasn't just like dinosaurs built to look pretty. Like they did actually try and make these accurate to what they currently knew about dinosaurs, which is kind of cool. So go listen to that episode. We had so much fun researching that one. And I feel like it's just filled with dinosaur drama. So (laughs) I highly recommend going back to that one. But going back to the late 1830s, William Buckland discovered ichthyosaur soft tissues in the Lyme Regis region. And then soon after, Richard Owen, who's the man who coined the word dinosaur, found an ichthyosaur pelvic fin with beautiful soft tissue outlines. So yeah, there were a lot of discoveries of ichthyosaurs happening around this time. But another issue with the early depictions of ichthyosaurs is that they're often shown with a straight tail with no fork, like a very lizard-like tail. Because if you look at their skeleton, their vertebrae extends kind of into the bottom part of their Y-shaped tail. So if you imagine a Y that's pointed like upwards like a shark, the bottom part was where their vertebrae was. And the top part of the tail is made up of this fleshy musculature. And I thought it was really interesting because when you look at the fossil and you think about it, it feels kind of like like it doesn't make sense. (laughs) So I can totally see why people would think, oh, it's got to have a like a little skinny tail and not this forked thing because it looks a little weird. If they thought it was more of like a weird monster crocodile or something. (laughs) Yeah, like it definitely makes logical sense. But that's sort of a brief history of the ichthyosaur. It's really hard not to get into like even more detail because there's so many things we could talk about. Like I find Mary Anning's history really interesting and I think we'll have to do a whole episode on her one day. Oh yeah, I think we definitely should. I, I sort of have like an article about her kind of like half about her. She's just so fascinating and kind of like the history of women in paleontology and how she's like the mother of paleontology. Just so cool. Very cool. But yeah, have there been any sort of more modern discoveries relating to ichthyosaurs or or did they kind of figure things out in the past? It's crazy how many discoveries there have been. And like, I feel like a lot of news making discoveries because they're always so Like, often they're really big fossils and they're like, this one's the biggest. No, this one's the biggest. And (laughs) it's kind of hard to disseminate which is the biggest ichthyosaur. But moving on from that, paleontologists have found even preserved skin of ichthyosaurs that have preserved molecules that indicate dark pigments. So they're fairly confident that some ichthyosaurs were countershaded. So dark on top and light on the bottom, much like almost like everything you find in the ocean. It's a very useful adaptation because if there's a predator below you looking up and your belly is light colored, it camouflages with the surface of the water. And if the predator is above you, it's looking down into the dark depths of the ocean and you would camouflage better if you had a dark back. So that's what countershading is. They probably had that or at least some of them did. Among the soft tissues they found, it also appears that while most ichthyosaurs had smooth, scaleless skin. Some had scales on certain parts of their body, like on the leading edge of their flippers. There have also been studies that suggest that much like modern whales, ichthyosaurs had a layer of blubber that helped keep them warm in cold oceans and allowed them to have a very active lifestyle. This would also explain why ichthyosaurs have been found around the poles. And initially, this whole idea came about because if you look at a fossil in shale and sort of see the the bones and then this soft tissue outline, paleontologists noticed that this space between the vertebrae and the surface of the skin must have been filled with something. So they did some chemical analysis, which showed that the tissue would likely have been made up of fatty material, 
And there we have blubber. All around the world, there have been some fantastic ichthyosaur fossils, many of which are very complete. But there's one in particular I wanted to mention because it's one of my earliest memories of ichthyosaurs. At the Royal Tyrell Museum, there's this hall that's sort of tunnel-shaped, and it's got this beautiful mural of ichthyosaurs on the wall. And embedded on the ground, there's this really long, big ichthyosaur fossil. And it's part of it's like still in the rock. It's got like this rope around it. But it's really cool to be able to just sort of walk right next to it. And the story behind how it was excavated is very interesting. So in the early 90s, this 75 foot long ichthyosaur fossil was discovered along the banks of the Sakani Chief River in northeastern BC. Initially, it was decided that the location of the fossil made it way too remote to excavate. The area it was at was really only accessible a few weeks a year, and it was next to this kind of crazy mountain river right next to a cliff. It would require the field team to hike in through dense BC forests that are filled with like bears and bugs with all (laughs) this heavy equipment. So it just seemed really like impossible to do. But at the time, the Tyrell Museum's curator of marine reptiles was a woman named Betsy Nichols. And she took a look at the fossil and went, okay, this is a new species of ichthyosaur. We have to go get it. So she spent years fundraising and organizing the excavation, which ultimately took three field seasons to complete between 1999 and 2001. They would hike 40 minutes to the site, use jackhammers and power tools to excavate the hard rock, and a helicopter would take out these giant pieces of rock. In one case, the skull was encased in four tons of rock, and it was pulled by a helicopter with a weight capacity of five tons. So they were kind of pushing it. (laughs) And the rock was then loaded onto a trailer and driven back to Alberta, all the way to the Tyrell Museum. The species was eventually called Shaunosaurus sicaninensis. Sicaninensis? Shaunosaurus sicaninensis. And it doesn't have any teeth. So likely it was one of the first filter feeding giant vertebrates, which is really neat. And this is the biggest, or as I could find, it's the biggest complete or nearly complete marine reptile ever found. Other fossils have included, other fossils have indicated that there are even like larger sizes for ichthyosaurs if you estimate out from the bones that have been found. But this one is like confirmed to be the biggest. Pretty cool. I did not know that. I definitely have seen it. I know what you're talking about. Well, I'm I'm happy to have heard the story because I'm going back to the museum this summer, so. Yeah, you'll have to read the signs and and take some pictures for people so they can see what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, Betsy, who sort of led this expedition, passed away um, a few years later after all of this research was done of breast cancer in 2004, but she left behind this amazing paleontological legacy and this amazing fossil. So that's ichthyosaurs for you. They are truly amazing creatures which lived through mass extinctions and roamed the oceans where they devoured everything from plankton to ammonites to giant marine reptiles and even each other. Their eyes are big enough to give any doughy-eyed Hollywood starlet a run for her money, and they were the first creature to cement Mary Anning's name in the history books. So I think they're pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. There's There are just so many amazing facts about them. Thank you so much, Olivia. That was just an amazing amount of research and 
I feel like I've heard about ichthyosaurs a lot, like in passing, but it was nice to just sit down and really get into it. Yeah, because I think sometimes they just kind of get lost in the history of just prehistoric oceans. Yeah. But they shouldn't get lost. I want to see them in the next prehistoric planet. Ooh, definitely. I want a prehistoric ocean show, you know? Yeah, just like a focus on the oceans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Olivia, and thanks everyone for listening. Send us your animal stories on Instagram, Twitter, or email us at beyondblathers at gmail.com before July 6th. Tune in next week for our 100th episode. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to be a really fun one. And then we'll have the listener stories. So yeah, but you will, as always, learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Thank you.